Perfect. Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. I'm here with a very special guest. Would you mind introducing yourself? Of course. My name is Christy, and I am a woman in recovery. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Christy. Um, How long have you been in recovery for? I have been in recovery since August 19th of 2019. So just over four years. Wow. It's a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. How did you kind of get started on your journey? Oh, uh, getting into uh, the actual rooms of recovery and the way of life of recovery. Prior to that, there was some, um, I had gone through treatment, and that's where I was first introduced to what recovery could look like. And I was then provided placement in a sober living home through Solutions in Oshkosh. And that is really where I can say that recovery itself actually started to take hold and started to really mold my life. It's good. Yeah. With the, it, with, was it an inpatient treatment then? It was. Is that like 28 28 days inpatient treatment? Yep, 28 days inpatient. And so I was there. There was a routine schedule every single day and just kind of got used to doing things that were essentially on someone else's time, right? Like I wasn't doing things the way that I wanted to for the first time in, in a long time. So I think that that was, that was, uh, it was a challenge at first. And then it, I got a lot more used to what that looks like and turning that into being of service for others. So it's kind of like the timeline of where that started to. Yeah, no, I, I believe treatment centers in my experience have always been very good at that since I've been living my life on my own terms for so long. It's always a a tough break. Did you have a fear going into treatment at all? I did. I had not ever been exposed to what treatment was, what recovery was, what addiction or alcoholism was. I had no idea coming into treatment. Prior to treatment, I was in the hospital for about a week where they took me to treatment from there to further stabilize me. And I I guess like when I first walked in there, I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me. And I remember that very first night, like I was terrified. It was the first time that I was going to be put in a place where I didn't know anyone. I was going to have to have a room with a female that I had never met before. And I had no idea what I was really getting into. So I guess that kind of aided in like being a blessing because I didn't really have anything to like project on what that could be. So that's where I see that there was a lot of open-mindedness too. But I remember that first night writing a note to my dad and saying like, I am not like these people. I do not belong here. And, but I stayed and 
I learned that I was exactly like those people and I needed to be there. So that was the full circle from day one to day 28. <clears throat> wow. Look at that. It didn't even paid off. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I believe the mental game is, is always tough, you know, and I, I remember my first day in treatment, that was always a difficult time. It's the uncomfortability of it all is, is by far more terrifying than anything else. But was that, was that your first round of treatment then? It was. Okay. So, no, in my experience, I've been to treatment a few times, you know, and, and I always preach that it's more about the experience and, and sometimes like, you know, fail. it's not necessarily like failure, but it can be of a thought wise is like, it's, it's all going to be okay. You know, and I've noticed that. So you went to solutions. How long did you stay at solutions for? I was in the sober living house that solutions has for women for 14 months. So that's a long stretch. It was long a long time. stretch. And I'm very grateful that I got to be there through a few extensions from the initial six-month requirement for the program itself. So I was able to apply for, I think, two extensions to continue to stay there. I am not, or I was not a resident of Winnebago County or Oshkosh, and I came up here from Milwaukee. So that was also part of that fear and unknown is that I didn't even know like the streets that I was surrounded by, if you will. I didn't know how I, you know, I, I, I had no familiarity with anything around me, which I learned was actually a really helpful, positive thing for my specific journey. I was completely removed from the people, places, things where I was and where I was in active use and that I knew that I could not go back to, but it took for me to be physically brought out of that location. Mm. So was there any struggles being away from home at all? There was, but I think that the Overall, like the efforts of the recovery community and the willingness for people to reach out, offer a hand, say, do you need help with this? Or like, I'll go to the grocery store with you. And, you know, all of those simple things that I was learning again for the first time, it felt like coming into recovery <clears throat> and not being used to relying on people something that I had to also get used to, but the community itself around in Oshkosh and around solutions really made it quite seamless of a transition. So I was able to kind of let those guards down and offer some trust towards people that I had no idea because they, it, they presented a very like familial like unit here. Yeah. And I might have a biased opinion just because I uh, got sober in Oshkosh here and <clears throat> kind of made my community, so to speak. But I would say, you know, I feel like we're very blessed. And, you know, I know there's recovery everywhere and there's always good communities. But, you know, I guess at the time what I needed was was Oshkosh and 
you know, I feel like that community has been fantastic. Absolutely. And, uh, with so you've been out of sober living for a few years now. Yes. <clears throat> Was there any difficulties in that transition at all? There was. I all of a sudden had no one to talk to at home. <laughs> I was living on my own. And really being able to bring that accountability with me, which I found within the program that I was working, I relied heavily on that as the accountability and the women of support that I had gotten close to while I was in sober living and I stayed connected, I did what they suggested. And so I kept volunteering. I kept showing up. I kept going to the meetings that I was consistently going to. I really didn't try to shake the tree too much as far as like, so there was a lot of fear that, you know, if I don't continue to do what they've actually showed me how to do, you know, do I have a shot at this, you know, life of in recovery and of sobriety? You know, can I do this on my own? So even though I was living on my own, there was still a heavy reliance, you know, on the the people, places and things now, the new people, places and things that I discovered in recovery and around the community itself. So I never felt alone. I always had someone to reach out to, but yeah, I mean, I had to <laughs> I had to start, you know, paying bills on time and by myself and, you know, all those things. And there was no one making sure that I was going to the meetings, though, really either. I mean, there were we would we created like a web of women that would call each other to check in. And during this time, too, it was just shortly after COVID. So things were just kind of kind of starting to get back to somewhat of normalcy in the, in society. So that'd be an interesting time to do a transition. <clears throat> I feel like everything was closed when it first kicked off, you know, that's good. I know there's like, from an outside perspective, there's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of things in recovery that are never really, I feel like never brought to the surface, you know, in, in some extent, but there's also a lot of beauty and a lot of positivity and recovery. So I feel like it's, you know, you get the good and the bad and the bad with the good. But uh, so with all like everything in your experience, what is like one of the biggest benefits of recovery that you never thought would be a thing? The first thing that comes to mind is community. I'd never thought that the arms of others that deal with the same disease that I do would be such a significant part of my life and play such an important role of who and how I am, where I am today. And I couldn't have done it alone. And that's something that really took me in hindsight reflection to notice that I didn't actually get myself here, right? Like, sure, I have my, I've got my legs, so I got here, but it was 
heavy reliance and encouragement and advice and support from all of those around me and said, like, you know, I was there too, or anything that I was going through, they were able to relate and kind of help me, help me through, you know, up and out. Yeah. And And that comes from like being a very, in my, when I was using, I was very isolated. So the whole reliance on others and, you know, letting people in, you know, that was a very foreign concept for a long time in my life. So being able to come out of it on the other side of it and say, like, I get to rely on all these people and I also need to. Community is super important, you know? I wouldn't be here without it myself. So I like that you touched on that. You know, who who would have thought it's such a, it seems like such a simple concept, you know, but for someone that's in the disease, like trust issues, feeling alone is a huge part of it. I feel like, especially when it starts to get very bad. I know for me, it's like I was, it was just me, myself and I towards the end there. How long have you been, how long have you been working with solutions now? I've been working with Solutions since May of 2022. It's exciting to give back to the the place that kind of helped you in your journey. Absolutely. It's been a blessing to have been given the opportunity to, you know, really be of service in a different way. So it's that is something that I have taken in specific, because this is the community that I'll say that I grew up in recovery in and being able to essentially pay it forward on a different kind of a scale versus just in and around the actual recovery community and with fellows and new folks that come in. It's just, it's a different form of being of service. It's good. Yeah. I know there's a lot of fun stuff in the solutions world. Solutions has grown a lot since you started, hasn't it? It sure has. And they've added a lot more programs and services. Yeah. So I can talk like within this last, you know, almost a year and a half, we have added a couple of sober living homes and sober living or sober housing houses as well. You're going to have to edit that out. Let me start over. (laughs) Okay. In the last year and a half that I've worked for Solutions, we have added a sober living house and a sober housing house as well. So that is an additional transitional living. So we've added that program. So after folks get released and they graduate from the program inside of sober living, they have the opportunity if there is room available to move into the sober housing where they can stay there for up to two years. So that's to get people on their feet, build their credit, save some money, and still be very close and connected to the community and the recovery center here. And they have, they do have a program of sorts 
that they do have to follow. It's a lot, a lot more lax than the structure of sober living. We also, September of 2023, September of 2022, we launched the peer response team. So that is a program that is led by a director and has a team of certified recovery coaches that are available on-site and through our recovery hotline, which the hotline itself is 24-7. Recovery coaches are on-site at the recovery center every day of the week. Well, it's a lot of growth. Yes. A lot of things happening. And then they they also have a child care, correct? Yes, we do. So we offer child care for parents that have seen child care as a barrier in their personal recovery. So if they were trying to get to a support meeting or, you know, meet with anyone in the recovery community or go to events and things like that, we have child care accessible. It is free to the parents. They can drop them off. They just, the only like piece there is that they have to be attending recovery related events and services. But yeah, that's on site. And we have childcare here of like four days a week right now. And we are looking to add on so that we serve or we are able to serve every day of the week. It's awesome. Out of all the communities, out of all the places I've ever been to, I've never seen a childcare offered, which is very different, you know? And I always wonder if many people know about it because it's, you know, it's huge. It's a, it's a game changer, in my opinion, for parents in recovery, families in recovery. Absolutely. And especially if, and they're right here. So if they're going to a support meeting or they're attending an event right, you know, right around these parts close by, they can, their child is here. So I think that's, it's really special. It is. And and Solutions does uh, events quite often, don't they? We do. We do events monthly. And we try to coordinate with the different holidays throughout the year. So, Fourth of July, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, things like that. And we do also have an event for New Year's. So, events around days, especially when it could be challenging for individuals that struggle with substance use and are early in recovery or have been around for a little while, or maybe don't, you know, have that healthy of connections of people outside. Like maybe, you know, maybe some of the people that they have had to separate themselves with, they can no longer be around. And so we essentially provide that safe, sober environment for them to come together and hang out. Very important. I know, I know for me, I never wanted to go to holiday sober. 
<laughs> I never wanted to be sober, but, um, you know, it's always very difficult when you have to mix family in or, or just people, you know, so it's always a blessing. And <clears throat> what, uh, what are the, cause there's two, there's two events a month that are continuously every month, right? Yeah. So we have sober Oki. So people can come and do karaoke in a sober environment. And that is one Friday a month. Excuse me. One Friday a month. It is the third Friday of the month at eight o'clock. And yeah, people come and do sober okay. And then we have Saturday Night Live, which is the second Saturday of the month. That is where we have food and fellowship from 5.30 until 7. And then we have a speaker at 7 p.m. Some love-free food. Yeah. <laughs> As saying it's and free. We, but... we do do it potluck style, so we encourage people to bring a dish. We usually theme it as well. Like the one that's coming up, we it's build-your-own-sub style theme. So people can, you know, just bring one item that they would like to add to a sub and, like, just yeah. get it all. All together. Nice. Love a good sub. Always healthy alternative. (laughs) Yeah, we have had a lot of pizza around here. (laughs) So sometimes we change that up a little bit. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, I I like that. Pizza parties can can definitely wear on you after a while. So they say it (laughs) reminds me of the meme where they're like, oh, no, we won't give you a raise but here's a pizza party (laughs) 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 throw a pizza party on it the thing it's awesome and and is there any resources for like teens or younger adults at all that solutions kind of helps out with there is um a fellowship that does host meetings within our facility that is alateen so that is for teens to come together that have parents or loved ones that are affected by the disease of alcoholism or addiction. And and then really any of the events that we have here, we, especially if it's a summer and it's outdoor, we tend to always have a water slide and a bounce house. It is like the new favorite thing and we almost can't have an event without it now. And so we've created a really good relationship with folks that bring the water slide in. And so they're happy to do that every time we have an event, especially like the corn roast or 4th of July, recovery fest, things like that, where we bring people together. And there's always, you know, we we try to make sure that there is a child focused area. So whether it be crafts or game area specific to children, we want them to feel part of as well. It's nice. It's always good to have a lot of different options. You know, I, I, I think to myself, if I was younger in my teens, would I, would I actually show up to an organization and, and try to partake in that kind of stuff? But I was pretty much in a terrible state at that time anyways. So I wouldn't have. (laughs) But at least the options out there, you know, and I feel like resources for younger people are definitely more scattered. Sure. 
Well, and I think too, if there are, you know, younger kids that start coming around with their parents and they see that there, you know, is a way to have fun and be sober and be in recovery. And there's actually a lot of joy in that. And there's a lot of people that adhere to the community of what that can look like. So I think it, it draws some kind of attention and it it starts to help kiddos like build memories in places like that. You know, they might've had some really tough times growing up with their parents or loved ones that had, had gone through the depths of addiction. And so to experience the other side and the happiness and the joyousness and the community aspect of it, I think that's extremely impactful. Yeah. And it it also offers quite a bit of hope. There is hope out there if you look in the right places. I um, do agree. Or find the right places or come across. It's it's surprising, you know. So when I was using I didn't really think people were sober having fun or anything like that. I didn't know people like that existed. <laughs> and here there's there's plenty of people out there, you know. I just wasn't looking in the right place, but it's funny to think. So, you know, you have a lot of experience. You've been in the community. You've done a lot of things. You know, I guess with everything that's changed in the past, you said over the year, Solutions has pretty much had a lot of change. And I would say Winnebago County in general has had a lot of change in the past year. I feel like they've taken a lot of focus on addiction and alcoholism within our county. Could be wrong, but I know they got the We Heart You app now, which is a huge resource that can be accessed by anyone if they download it. They have everything at the fingertips, you know, and it's interesting to see like the shifts that have happened. And I believe it all kind of starts with all the overdoses and a lot of like more awareness of of the dangers of using essentially has come up, you know? Absolutely. Have you ever have you ever like looked at the because they have what is it called? The overdose fatality review team? Yep. And then they do a yearly report on like the the numbers and everything that's ever happened. Have you ever taken a look at those before? I have. You have? It's interesting because they say like from after COVID, we were in record high years of overdoses and deaths. And then in 2022, it kind of jumped down a little bit. But in 2021, we had a record of 41 people that died of overdoses on record, of course, in the county. And then in 2022, it jumped down to 37. But out of the 37 deaths, 24 of them were caused by fentanyl. And I always find that just like, it amazes me because, you know, throughout the years of, I've known a lot of people have unfortunately passed and like uh, fentanyl wasn't a huge thing when I was using, you know, and it's interesting how things have changed over the years. Um, how that goes. I've, I've, I hear you on that too. I feel that it's definitely an epidemic. All I hear about is fentanyl today. 
Yeah, it's it's great. Well, they say it's fifty times stronger than heroin and and a hundred times stronger than morphine. Yeah, it has almost like made every other street drug null and void and obsolete. And it is just taking lives. That is all that I see that it's doing. And it's heartbreaking and it's tragic. It is. It's terrible. And one thing I think that is interesting, out of all the articles they kind of post, they said there were six common themes of people that overdosed. Really? <laughs> that is an interesting poll to take. I would be curious. What are they, John? I know. So I got I to tell you, because I would say they align. I mean, they, they're pretty interesting. So the first one is a lack of support and access to vital services that have experienced trauma. Number two is a history of mental health and did not receive treatment services for the mental health. Three is would be a strong, they didn't have a strong recovery community, which is crucial to reduce the reoccurrence of use. Four is touch points with prison or jail systems before leaving were non-existent. And five died with out any Narcan or anyone nearby, and six felt isolated and unsupported. Any thoughts on that? The first thing that comes to mind is having gratitude for the Overdose Fatality Review Board diving in and saying, like, we have to take action with basically what those statistics are that you just read, those commonalities, and what can we do about that? And that is that is the specific reason and or reasons why and how the peer response team was created, launched, and is, I will use the word thriving, because it is serving individuals that may have not had anywhere to go. It is serving individuals that are in jail. It is creating those touch points. It's bridging a gap from jail to the recovery community itself. And it is keeping people accountable and while at the same time, like offering them services of what recovery is and how to help them get to where they are hoping to get to when they are in places, really basically what you were just reading. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I definitely agree. The first thing I think of, and I've, I've never <clears throat> looked into this or it just kind of came across it, but I always think like solutions almost meets every need that has been listed in that sense. And it's all been recent, like with the peer response team being there, like to provide that support and try to connect people to resources. And then all the, there's been a lot more, what do they call them? Whether the Narcan in the box. The Deluxe uh, boxes. Yeah. Those have been coming up a lot more in different areas throughout the county. And I just find it very interesting of like the action that's been taken to, you know, help serve those people. And obviously you can't be a hundred percent, but having that prevention in place is always key and important. 
Absolutely. You know, and anyone that, you know, out in the community, yes, you can find the Nalox boxes and the Narcan inside is free. They can also come right down to the recovery center at Solutions and we have it at the coffee counter. It's, we give that out and we don't just say, you know, here's one or two. We might give someone three or four. Just last week, a woman came in and said, my daughter is in active use. Do you have any Narcan? And so we were able to provide that hopefully life-saving product for them. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, you know, if if any overdose, that's the first thing they come with. So it's always good to have it on hand if any circumstances come up, you know, and hopefully it comes to the point where people do find a willingness or an open mind to to getting the help that they need. And so that can be prevented and, and not have to worry about that. But Unfortunately, that's sometimes not the reality. Absolutely. One more fun fact. I wonder if you know it, just because I know you're in solutions, you dived into the into the world of it all. But do you know how many treatment beds are in the state of Wisconsin? If you were to take a guess. So 240. Yeah, that's a pretty good guess. <laughs> I feel like you do. It's 250. But uh, yeah, I find it shooting from the hip, John. That was a hard guess. Oh, that was a pretty. That was pretty close. I don't know. Two hundred and fifty beds to how many people do we have living in the state? It's it's yeah. There definitely not enough beds, but that's for residential treatment. So that's not counting all the sober livings and all of that. So it's a little bit different. I feel like, but you know, that first initial start of, of hope and help would be residential treatment, I feel like. Yeah, low amount of number. I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, those are kind of all the things I've noticed that are, are kind of looking up. But is there, you know, I, I did forget to ask you, since it is recovery month and we're in recovery, does it hold any significance to you about the month? It does, actually. And honestly, I didn't really think about it until this year, which is strange. The entire month of September, I was in treatment. And I believe it's also one of the most beautiful months in Wisconsin out of the year. And it's a time for, could be for celebration celebrating where we have gotten to in the field of recovery today and seeing the continuous movement forward in reducing the stigma, really opening the conversations to folks in the community itself and out there and just really getting like raw and vulnerable and sharing our stories, people in recovery. And letting people know that like, hey, we are here and we're not, we're here to help too. (laughs) That's good. That was a weird question, John. Was it? I don't know. What did you want from it? I don't know. I never think of recovery month. You know what I mean? It's like, so I was curious. Yeah. And I feel like... 
that's when there are a lot more the resource fairs, the actual events that are put on by organizations within the recovery community, whether it be a run walk or whether it be memorial services, gatherings of people for those who have lost loved ones, and really just coming together in support of recovery and in in support of each other and others. So that's what I think of when I think of recovery month. I just think of it as being a very supportive month and just to highlight the significance of recovery and the strides that we have made and the many that we still have yet to go. Mm. But it all adds up, if you will. It's a busy month. The uh, the rally for recovery is in September, isn't it? It is. That's at the Capitol or whatever? At the Capitol in Madison. It's right at the building. I was there last year, and I was kind of blown away by, you know, the Capitol opens its stairs and just says, you know, folks from around the state can come and offer <clears throat> information on their services. And it was just such a wide, vast array of <clears throat> what we have to offer to folks in recovery in Wisconsin. <clears throat> Excuse me. And got to hear a lot of stories of people in recovery and parents of those who have lost their children to overdose. And I don't know, it's a cool event. Sounds like a beautiful event. You know, I never have been, but I know we have a lot to offer. There's a lot that is offered, you know. And I think that a lot of strength comes from like the continuation of providing the awareness. Do not keep quiet about it, right? Like just continue to share like this is what we offer, this is what we offer. And I don't know, it's going to hit the ears of people that really need to hear it. Of course. <clears throat> or plant the seed. Absolutely. Which always helps. But any any word of advice, anything you would like to leave off on, share some hope and some strength? The first thing that I think of is that, you know, the opposite of what I was thinking when I was in active use is that. I wasn't alone, even though I felt like I was, but there is, there is hope and all it takes is a tiny shred of willingness to say, I don't want to live like this anymore. And I think I need to get help. And it would, you know, it, it may surprise some to see how many doors can open by just, just that admission. So you're not alone. There is hope. There is a way out and you don't have to do this alone. Beautiful advice. Couldn't have said it any better. Well, awesome. I appreciate your time, Christy. I'll sign off, give you back your day, but thank you for being a part of the podcast and, and sharing your strength and experience. Thank you, John, for asking me.